Hey, hey, y'all. Welcome to my podcast, Melanated Stamps. My name is Dr. Janae Perdue, and this is my little corner of the world. And here, I love chatting with and learning about and from dope people who do dope things all over the world. And today is no exception. My conversation today is with Lynette, and she is an expat. Y'all, she's like a real, for real expat. I've been abroad for three years in China. I'm from Denver, Colorado, but Lynette has been abroad for 29 years. Y'all, I cannot imagine. who. That's a long time. And so we talk a lot about her life coaching, um, her philosophy on being abroad and how she's been able to manage. Also, we talk a bit about grieving and about um, the hard parts about of um, being abroad, which is so important as well, because it is not all rainbows and candy over here or wherever you may find yourself. Um you can follow my work at Melanated Stamps, M-E-L-A-N-A-T-E-D-S-T-A-M-P-S, and that is where you can find links to Lynette's work. Um, her Instagram is Lavender Dreams Coach, um, and that's how you can connect with her, both on Facebook and also on Instagram. She's from Zimbabwe, and she's currently in the Middle East. Um... Her story is fantastic, and she's super passionate and a lovely human being, and I can't wait for you to join in um, just running this conversation and um, through listening. So, uh, what else do I need to tell y'all? I don't even know. Um, anyway, so, one, follow her. Two, follow me. Three, be kind to yourself. Check out the conversation. Share it with your people. Um, and also check out the other episodes that I have posted. Y'all, the conversations I have are so life-giving, and I love when I hear about how they've helped other people. So, without further ado, this is my conversation with Lynette. Enjoy, y'all. Okay, everyone. Welcome to Melanated Stamps. I'm so glad you are here to join me for another conversation with a fantastic human being. Uh, my name is Dr. Jane Perdue, and I am an expat in Shenzhen, China, and I'm actually talking with another expat who is not in China, but has lived abroad for decades, which I think is incredible. So can you introduce yourself? Who are you and where are you currently? Uh, my name is Lynette Michelle Mashiri. I am currently in Saudi Arabia, and this is your... 29 since I have been abroad. Um, short story, when I was 13, I made a declaration with a friend of mine that we would study abroad. So fast track to when we finished high school um, in Zimbabwe. After our A-levels, uh, she got a scholarship to go to Australia. We were supposed to have gone to study at the National University of Lesotho together. What I remember was cute was she actually called me and we think, yeah, she was working and she showed me the application letter and she asked for my permission, which was, I thought that was cute because like, she's like, no, remember we're supposed to go together. So, so she ended up going to Australia, ended up going to, um, that's where she met her husband, I think within like two days of arriving in Australia. And I ended up going to Lesotho, and then uh, in my when I was in my third year, I met a professor from the United States, and he's like, "Have you ever thought?" Because I was that time I was thinking, um, "I want to go to France," so I was busy trying to improve my French, and, and so I went home and I talked to my dad. He's like, "Well, you do what you." Uh, you do all the research as um, my father's philosophy in life has always been if you want to do something i will give you the money you do the research and then you tell us what it is you need from us so i did my research i wrote my toffle i wrote my gmat um did pretty well then i ended up uh, moving to toledo ohio where i did my first masters in at the university of toledo i was um i lived in the states for about 14 years I did public administration to begin with and then ended up having an internship in Washington and going to Capitol building every day. And then I was like, oh, I don't think this is what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the lessons I 
is um so this is what i always tell uh young people i talk to about you know wanting to when you're thinking about your dreams you really have to be sure but you can always do a master's degree in something else so i think i worked in various positions for a few years and then i got a teaching job and i was working with um children with autism so something in me just came alive so i decided that i wanted to go back to school and become a teacher so mm-hmm. i remember what i had been applying to go to university when i was 19 my mom's like why don't you go into teaching and i remember and my mother loved to remind me this she's like what what did you, what did you say i don't want to become a teacher yeah mm-hmm. like, yeah yep, i became a teacher so I called my mom, I'm like, Mama, guess what? She's like, uh, you're going back to school to become a teacher. I'm like, how do you know? She's like, uh, I'm your mother. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, um, I have this connection with my mother. Um, I, I like um, I like to tell her that since I'm the last born, uh, I'm the boss. I, mm. I don't know if I am the boss, but so, so I saw her back to school in 2005. I finished 2008. I taught um in an elementary school for about six years i also worked with a community center that was in toledo where i met my mentor um mrs mcallister mrs mcallister is 98 years old still very much alive kicking um she just retired she says for the second yeah. time uh, when she was 92 her doctor told she had to retire <laughs> wow why my mrs mcallister is my mentor mrs mcallister yeah she's 98 she finished high school at 15 graduated from college at 19 she grew up in the south then she moved to ohio So um I met her what in what she calls her second career as an educator at the community center. So with that community center, the community center was started by another one of my mentors um Mrs. Betty Emerson. She started it in 1960 and she was very interested in providing a place for the community first to start it off as a place for for young black children to have somewhere where they could socialize then they offered daycare then they offered um young mothers a chance to go to school do their GED they got them scholarships to go to uh university got them jobs and then when i joined them i became a scholarships um assistant she was education coordinator and they had a summer program where they would take uh children that were in foster care and basically as Mrs. McAllister would put it they were children who the system had said um example we had one boy i think he was he was supposed to be going to grade 1 but uh, owing to circumstances that had um that ended up with him being in foster care he had he had he had not done very well so she had a system so she kind of like walked me through it she trained me and the year that i was given the summer program it was a uh, black history musicians throughout the ages from the 1900s to 1999 and so with Mrs. McAllister I, i got a different way a different approach of teaching so it was you take the information and you make it adaptable for kids that are in kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade mm-hmm. and then they had arts program uh, so they had a dance teacher then they had so um the students could choose if they wanted to do art or they could do dance and then we had 3 hours in the morning to do uh english math and so basically it was this game so all we did she called it playing but if she So, so she she used games but and she said she had been using the teaching method ever since she started teaching 
Mm. And we had students whose reading level jumped up from grades. Kids left ready for school, like writing their names, reading. And all we did was play. So she made teaching fun of me. And I think um, even now as a teacher, I've, I've had the opportunity, I've been teaching in the Middle East for the last 10 years, and I've had the opportunity to go back and teach at my old high school in Zimbabwe because I went back to school to get my postgrad diploma in education. And I got, so for me, it was like going home because I was at, at that school for 11 years. So, and you, so it's, imagine how difficult it is as a teacher. You go in and you don't know these people and you have to make some sort of connection. But what she taught me was make sure you're having fun. If you're having fun, you will connect with the students. Mm-hmm. So that's my approach to teaching, and that's basically it's become my approach to life. So I've traveled. Um, I used to travel alone. I've been to, I've gone on holiday to Dubai. I've gone to Korea. I've been to Japan. I always travel alone, but I never feel lonely because I will find someone to talk to. <laughs> I, I will start up a conversation and people are like, how do you, I, I'm like, I don't know, I'm just having fun and I try to do that. So in, even in, in that, so it's become not just my teaching approach, it's, it's also part of my philosophy. I'm just, I talk to people. If you don't want to talk to me, okay, I'll move on or I'll just be quiet and then I'll be on my phone and take pictures. And and then what has been interesting is, you know, when you go back to Zimbabwe, I had not, when I left in 1993, I didn't go back for a long time. So in the last 10 years, up until um, because of COVID, I haven't gone home um, for the last two years but it really makes you appreciate the fact that you have a home and then you just notice how everything is different and you kind of like feel like an outsider in the place that is part of who you are but having lived in six different countries having been to about 16 different countries around the world I feel more like a citizen of the world, but I I feel like a citizen of the world. But some people, they just look at you and they see either color or they, or they look at your passport like, you're African, you don't sound African. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm thinking, why are you putting labels? Why are you expecting me to sound mm. a certain way? Why not be open? So some people are receptive and some people are not, but yeah. Um, the thing with uh, so it's so it's a, it has been an interesting journey, but I think since because of COVID and not being able to go to see my parents oh, and get a chance to go and say goodbye to people who have died it's kind of changed me and it's make it's made me reevaluate the the need to be away because it's no longer fun <laughs> at times mm-hmm. because 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 um you know you you are i live alone or my, I'm no longer with my friends. When I came, I used to live with my. I I used to live with people from Zimbabwe, and you know, it's, it's, so much has changed. So you have to constantly be thinking about what's next. Hmm. What what do I do? And then you, it's. I think it's making me reevaluate. Think about. Um, how do you adjust to the changes in life? Because I think uh, everybody's now wanting to be a digital nomad or do other things. Because I think life has changed, and I don't, I don't think it's gonna go back to normal. Yeah. So I, I think you 
have to adapt to that. And you can't wish for the old to come back because I don't think it's coming back. Hmm. I have a couple um, of questions for you. Um, yeah. As sure. you, we'll talk about the emotional piece a little bit later because I think that's really important. But I want to do, I want to know a little bit more about um, the concrete parts of your expat life. And so, um, my first question is, um, how, as, like, since you've been abroad for over half of your life now, um, how do you define home and where is home for you? Um, and then also, um, like you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, like you said, I, I want to go to Zimbabwe, but you didn't say I want to go home. So like, do you still consider this home or where you are as home? Like, how do you create um, roots where you are so that you can feel connected to something bigger? Okay. Um, until COVID happened, until recently, um, for me, home is where your for me home is where your soul belongs so for the longest time like okay well 10 years ago i went to south korea because i absolutely love 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 k-pop mm-hmm. not just bts um <laughs> i'm talking old, old old school stuff from like 2000 since 2003 i have been listening to k-pop mm-hmm. so I, i'm talking about like way back so when i was in korea i remember i was by the river han or hangik no, i'm saying it wrong at the river han and i just felt like the sense of peace like my soul had found its home my soul had found its home mm. but i still have to physically get to home so when i I'm answering your question. Um, so when I came back from Korea, I started looking for ways for me to get to Korea. I applied for jobs. Um, my Korean teacher tried to help me. He did the research. And then I kept applying for this uh, program. It's called EPIC. So the, I think it was like the fourth time I'd applied. The man said, he actually called me and then he explained to me that as qualified as I am as a teacher, um, I didn't qualify for the program because of my passport. So that was like, oh, um, it was like a jarring moment. So it's like, okay, this is where I want to be. Then how do I get there? So when I was, when I'm, so I, to answer your question, where is home? Um, Zimbabwe is where my parents, Zimbabwe is where I'm born where I'm born. Okay, so I do teach English. Zimbabwe is where <laughs> I was born. Please that. <laughs> <laughs> Zimbabwe is where I was born. My passport is, I still hold the Zimbabwean passport. And when I do talk to my, so when I say it in Shana, like, I want to go home. Mm. It's even more, there's more meaning. But for me, it's more like, I want to go where my parents are. Mm. But um, having lived in so many places, but have it, it, I've lived in places where um, you can't become a citizen. And so my father had this conversation with me the last time I was home. He's like, so what? And my father actually asked me, he's like, so what are you going to do? Hmm. And then I, I just looked at him because I was like, Dad, remember, I wanted to buy this land and you told me no. Now you're asking me, what, what do I plan to do? But at that time, I wasn't thinking. I was just like, Ugh, you know, I'm going to work. Uh, I want to go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But now I think, I think as you get closer to the age where I'm turning 50 next year, I know I don't look it. Um, <laughs> You are, I'm starting to like really think about where do I want to live? Mm. Because, um, 
one of the reasons I wanted to live abroad was I wanted to live a different life. I didn't, I did live a different life, but something didn't fully work out. So I really have to think about that. Um, I've, most, I had, I, I've, I've made some preparations for my retirement in Zimbabwe, but I'm still looking for other things. So, like where I live right now, it's it's my home for the moment. Um, I try to make myself comfortable wherever it is I'm living because, as we have been teaching online for the last almost two years, this this was my house. This was my office. So. You, I had to do everything I could to make it more, to make it my home. But I have been trying to practice being a minimalist because I don't form attachment to things. I think maybe because I've been moving around so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, books. I have um, the things that I value most of, of uh, great importance are blankets my mom has given me. Um, it's just um, things that remind me of uh, my mother, pots, uh, pots that my sister gave me. So I think that's, that is my attachment to home. But... Um, I think with COVID, I started questioning my mentality. Mm-hmm. So it's because like um, my my baby sister, my god sister, she was forty five. She died in June, no, in July. And <clears throat> so it's it's kind of like you, you 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 question what if I die. And then you're like, what if I live? Mm. My father had a stroke. He's 86. Um, when I heard, so I, I don't know why the, they called me. I think I, they had, they were like six mixed calls. I, my phone for my mom is always on. Everyone else, my mom and my sister, my phone is always on. But I missed the calls because I was sleeping when I woke up and I called. And then I started, I said, I'm not, I, then I started, <gasps> I started crying and said, no. If I start crying, that means I'm going to let him go. And then, I don't know, some thoughts that, that I have. So, um, he survived the stroke. He, and then for about a good three months, every time you call, he's like, who are you? And then you, like, so, so it's sort of like, I'm more like a bit, it's not a bit, but... Um, so I always go, hi, daddy. He's like, hello, who's this? I'm like, I'll just call you, daddy. Um, but last I'm like, mm-hmm. hi, daddy. He's going, hello, Nana. Nana's baby. So it's, I think, for me, I, I, I'm not going to say there's a concrete answer. For me, home, Zimbabwe is home because that's where my parents are. I'm so blessed and thankful that I still have both of my parents alive. My mother is 83. My dad will be 87. <clears throat> my uncle, uh, who also I, I grew up with, he babysat me when I was a newborn. I lived with them for two years when I was in primary. So they're kind of like my second parents. And we live in, my parents live in the same. And it's like five minutes walk from my aunt's. He and it's it, and it's like you know because my mom's family were all very close. Um, I have nine aunts, then five uncles on my mom's side. So my aunts um, in my mother's sisters are my mother. So. We call her my daughter, which is big mom. Um, she's 88. And my uncle is 89. When I was last home, he he was okay, but then 
two months later, he, he said his other Alzheimer's or dementia. And it's like, it, it's not clicking. Mm-hmm. When I see the pictures, it's like, no, that is not... <laughs> who are the, who's, this, who's this old man? Who, that's not... These are not the people that I remember. And it's... I think it's just jarring. Yeah. And also, um, I think it reminds you that we're all going to die someday. Yeah, absolutely. So, appreciate those that are alive. And that. So, for me, home is where my parents are. And the other answer is home is where my soul feels at peace. But the world has changed, so I don't know now if where my soul was feeling feeling at peace is where I'm going to be. Mm, that's interesting. I That makes a lot of sense. Um, so you mentioned that, um, that the journey of understanding or um, the, you're in the, the part of your journey now where um, what used to make sense no longer makes sense. And also with, significant loss through actual death and then just major life changes has made you question and to come to new conclusions um so I want I'm curious about like your journey through grief and how you have um coped or worked through that um as an expat because I have my own story with grief, and so you as well. Um, So can you share a bit more about um, what you have been doing and how you have been able to still function or try to even function? Yes. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I think is really useful or which is different from like when... I, when I was in college, um, I think it was in '97, in my final year, I I used to travel um, from Zimbabwe to Lesotho. I would go through South Africa, so it would be like a two-day journey. Um, because my dad would be like, "You want to fly, or you want pocket money?" So mm-hmm. Like, I'll take the money and uh, I'll go by road, and that way I would have more money because. Um, so I traveled. I, it was around New Year's. I left Zimbabwe, went to the studio. My grandmother died. My mom's mom. And she then they sent me a telegram. Like I think three days. I think I arrived, and then classes started, and then my mom's. Then I get this telegram. Your grandmother has died. So I was like. So why didn't you tell me? Because I think she died the day that I left. I'm like, so are you okay? Do you want me to come? She's like, no, I'm okay. You know, um, you carry on with school. So that was 30 years ago. Um, well, not not 30 years ago, 20, 23 years ago. And now, so it was, so we went from getting a telegram to like, okay, my grandmother's died, I miss her, and then it really hit me when I went home for my, after I finished university, I was home for four months before I went to the States, and my grandmother, once she heard that I was back in Zimbabwe, would come, and Mm -hmm. she would be there for me, my grandmother wasn't there, so it went from dealing with that when I, um, when I was younger, to um, when my god sister died, I used to call on my baby sister. Um, I had to watch her funeral, and that okay. At least you get to see that she, you, you get to hear like you you, you kind of like get to attend the, the funerals virtually, mm-hmm. and then you get to see the burial, and. Because I'm, I'm still sending her messages. I mean, I, I know she's not going to answer nothing. Someone took the SIM card out of her phone because her photograph is not there anymore. And you just, you just say hi. And there are some days where I 
because we did so much together and ever since we were kids and um we used to watch k-dramas korean dramas together we used to read the same novels we were pretty much much the same um uh smart geeks who like weird things as my mom used to say <laughs> and her mom used to say so there were days where i think i had not watched a korean drama for a minute and then like say friday was a with a friday ritual we would watch a korean drama together and then we would send voice notes i just started crying and then i so i said you know what i have to accept that a big part of my life has gone and then so sometimes i cry um other times i call my mom when we talk about her um i talk to some friends that um we went to school with because and do you know what i'm sorry i want to start crying what when she died she literally said um the weekend before she died on saturday i hope i don't die i hope i don't die alone she died in her sleep mm. alone mm. and that and so it's like it it's made me question why am i here alone mhm do i want to do this and i think because you know when you're an expat you i don't know about you but i used to say that my uh, my friends were the family that i could choose because uh, most of my friends i don't refer to them as my friends they're my sisters but what i found with covid people you thought were your friends are not really your friends people that you've been saying are my sisters they're not there for you so mm-hmm. it's making you realize that who are you putting your faith in um my older sister um i have an expression people say you love people to death now my thing is i say to my i love people to life um i always tell my sister that i'm really grateful that she stepped up my sister and i are the third born and third fourth born in our family my sister and i stepped up um to help to take care of my parents my sister was made my sister was given power of attorney for my parents care so and she refers to me as her best friend we are 10 years apart so i know if i'm really going through a hard time my mom would tell me one thing so i all my, my mom is very emotional and she can you know come like tugs at tugs at the heart so i would talk to my sister and then she would tell me the truth of what's going on mm-hmm. so so it's at the um so dealing with grief i sometimes i let it be there but i don't drown in it mm-hmm. i i rem- uh, do you know when what i used to tell people or clients that i worked with Oh, remember them in your heart which sounded so cliche when i would say it that's what i'm having to do mhm i'm having to remember people who have died in my heart um last year um one of my friends here in saudi her mother died we don't we think it was covid and like you know we hear and well, you know, we're in different parts of saudi so then i her mother's funeral was the first covid funeral not covid the first zoom funeral i ever attended 
and you know you're watching you're hearing you're seeing the people deal with it. and then that's when it really hits that you know the world has changed because like only i think maybe five people were allowed to attend everyone else was even those people that were in Zimbabwe were watching on zoom and and then so i spent in the next two months calling her are you okay mm. um uh, are you gonna go home you can't mm-hmm. so this is someone who lost her mother who was keep raising her daughter for her now her daughter's like mama when are you coming mm-hmm. but so she's like no i can't come because i need to work so I can help take care of you. Her son died while she was here. Mm. He was 18. And then her dad was like, are you coming? And her mom's like, no, I still have you to raise. Her husband died uh, a while before. So I've watched people deal with grief as expats. I'm dealing with it. And then in December, my father had a stroke. And you can't go home. You And you can't explain to him that you can't come because of lockdowns mm-hmm. and um, I'm helping take care of his medical bills. He has a nurse 24-7. Right now it's like, he's just, he's just like, I haven't seen you. So part of my thought is, is he holding on just to see me? Mm. And that's a horrible thought to have. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thought to have. Yeah, for sure. Because my uncles, I've lost two uncles while I've been here. And I've gone to see my aunts. And, you know, they, these are just strong women who are carrying on. But, and it's like... And I think that's another jarring thing about when you, you, you're you not there, then you come back, something has changed. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you feel like you're a guest in the family. And then you see, you know, people I have, um, a few of my cousin, like my cousin had his 50th birthday party. My, my, my sister-in-law had a 50th birthday party. And people are celebrating life and you're just like, so... I'm sitting here in my apartment looking at people live their lives. Because, you know, because of, um, you know, there's been COVID, you, you're not like, oh, you know, I'm going to Dubai, I'm doing this. No, I'm just in my house. Yep. So, I was like, so, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Because it's, it's not, it's not the same. Okay. Um, I didn't, I, uh, I used to complain that I never got to experience the Saudi summer. Uh, no, never again. I'm never complaining. Because <laughs> uh, in June, it's summer in, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. I go to Zimbabwe. It's winter. It's cold. It's hot. You know, typical African uh, winter. It's cold at night, hot during the day. You go out, your, your face gets really dark because of the harsh winter sun. And I was here, it was 45 degrees, it felt like 50, and the AC is on the coldest setting, mm. and it's just hot. Mm. <laughs> and, you just, and you wake up, it's hot, and you yeah. just, it's just hot, and it's like, oh my god. So, mm. no, um, so, um, so the other things that I do to deal with um, depression or grief is a journal. Um, I believe that writing down how you feel um, is also very good for when you have a chance to sit down and look back at your thought patterns. You can analyze what you what you were thinking. So, excuse me. Um, I journal in the morning, so I do like a, um, I go through my goals for the day, and then 
I have a thing that I, I do with my clients. I call it worry on schedule. So let's say you're busy at work, something's bothering you. you just I just write it down. And then when I have time, I, I give myself 30 minutes to, to go through the things that are bothering me. Whether If it's a work problem, then maybe I'll come by the time I sit down to worry on schedule. I will have dealt with it or I can come up with a solution. And then at the end of the day, before I, I go to bed, I do what I call a brain dump. I write down everything that's been on my mind. Um, I suffer from insomnia. So one of the things I used to do before I started doing the brain dump is I would literally be thinking of a solution and then you fall asleep and you dream and in your dream you have a solution and you wake up and you sleep. That was just a dream. So, um, mm. I so I I journal that. So I do the worry on schedule, and then I do the brain dump, and then at the end of the month, I do like a monthly review because I like to use smart goals to set my goals. So, um, with everything that's been going on, like uh, with my dad and with work. I started some plans and then I really got emotional. I was like, I want to go home. Ah! <laughs> and then, uh, so I have it on my wall. Um, these are the goals because I'm trying to set, um, I'm trying, to, I'm planning out um, for the next year. Because uh, I don't do New Year's. Eve, New Year's plan, whatever, because I think because my birthday is in September and I've, so usually what would happen is when I'm in Zimbabwe for the summer, because the, the atmosphere is different, I always, I usually get a chance to really do reflection and depending on how I'm feeling, with um, being back in, in my parents' house, it's, it usually is a driving force for me to make decisions that um, I'm hoping will pan out in the future. So I had to write down in my worry journal, stopping stopping emotional to be practical, and then remind myself that I've set the goal and. There's a, the deadline is coming up in January and I, if I, I have to follow through for these steps so that I can fully implement the rest of my long-term goals. Mm. So journaling and then when post comes to shove, I will call mommy. And I go, mama! And you know, my, it was not until something interesting, um, because English, yes, even though I'm African, for me, English is my first language. And that was something, that was a decision my parents made. So, Shana, I, I can speak, I can read. My father was a, a famous author in Zimbabwe, and... Uh, like my dad, I am also a writer. So when I was in the States, I started speaking more Shana because I would be speaking English to all these people. And the minute I got on the phone, I switched. So my mom was like, what's wrong with you? Oh, what do you mean what's wrong with me? So... And it's become like a joke between my mother and I. So usually when I call my mother, I switch Shauna and then she will tease me and and speak in what she calls her English. But uh, no, my mother can't speak English, so it's just, uh, it's, mm. her, it's a bit she does. And then with my dad, he, he was the one that used to speak to me the most in English. So... For some reason, when I talk to my father, I actually use the dialect from where he's from, which I only do with my dad. I always think that's interesting. Like, I was speaking to him yesterday, 
And I said something to him and he's like, what? And I was like, don't you recognize, you know, your own dialect? He's like, oh, it's just funny coming from you. So, mm. so I think for me, that's how I remember home or... Um, to go back on that question, I think um, I'm coming up with a new definition of what home is. Um, that's what part of my long-term goals are. Um, mm-hmm. I'm coming up with a new definition of home. Oh, good. Okay, um, I have two more things that um, I'd like to ask you about. Um, the first one, um, this is a time, ta- like, you, you've talked about your clients, so what are people hiring you to do? So what is your your work right now? Oh, okay. So I am a transformational positive mindset coach. I offer individualized services and um, this is my uh, one of my taglines. I will hold your hand while you decide what do you want to be. So basically... Someone can hire me if they need help to, if someone wants to start a business. So what I help them do is kind of like final, work on defining what kind of business they want to do. I'm not like a business coach, but I will guide you to set up your goals and help you um, find out what it is you want to do. So, I have different uh, types of clients. Usually, what I usually do when I go to Zimbabwe, I usually work with, I usually talk to young Africans who are similar, who are, who, are, who come from a similar background, um, private school educated. And so um, I tell them what it's like to be a young African expat where you're going from being in your own country you're private school educated you if you're coming from an affluent background you have a different mindset so you're you're kind of like expecting that people are going to receive you in the same manner so what are so i usually um if they're looking for scholarships i help them do that I give talks on what life is really like for African expats, depending on where does you go. And I try, I try to prepare them for culture shock, for yeah, culture shock, um, especially ones that are going to study in America, where they have a romanticized vision of what America is, and it's like no, it's like this. And then, um, I then I work with people who want to become. I used to do like exclusively expat coaching, but I I found that most of the clients that I started working with were Americans who wanted to go to Africa, and they had and they had a romanticized view of Africa, mm. and it became really difficult to try and explain that look. Africa is not this way. It's it's this way. So, because most people like I I see stuff on YouTube. It's like that's someone's experience. It's gonna be different. Um, Africa is a cash rich society. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm generalizing the 54 countries that are in Africa, but wherever you go in Africa, if you have money, life will be easier for you. And I had someone, I think I, I had like two meetings with her. She's like, I got $5,000. Is that enough? I'm like, where? No, that's not enough. You might not even, depending on where you're going, research. So it's like, depending on what it is you want to do. Uh, I also do career coaching. I was just working with someone who wants to go to D- Dubai. So I um, connected them with job recruiters, did some research uh cv coaching so um i one of my first clients um she's from the she's from indonesia actually i met her when she was 
uh, a high school student, we were on a language exchange, she wanted to improve her English. And then we just so happened to have the love for K-dramas and K-pop. So I used to talk to her and then I helped her get a scholarship to go and study peace resolution uh, at the UN in the US. So she got a three month scholarship and then she said something that scared the living crap out of me. She's like, oh, I think I want to study English. And I was like, look, from what I understand about Asian society, Asian schooling, she was in a science track and she's a, this is, she's about to enter a final year in high school. And I was like, okay, I need to talk to your parents. I need to talk to your mother because, and I mean, she had already been accepted into university. So I was like, oh no, 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 I really, I've been thinking about it. I've like for six months, I really want to do this. And so her, her mother didn't speak English. Her, both of her parents, we got, on, we got on Skype. We had a meeting. The parents are like, no, we're fine with it. She's always been talking about you, um, you know, when she went to this. So she just finished. She just graduated um, in, over the summer. And she's working in PR, got a degree. In, and she was able to transfer from the science, the science department to um a department in the humanities where she studied communication and PR and she said no what you taught me was I can do anything oh, <laughs> was like, that's great so, so that was but the thing is because I've, I've known her for about six years now but that was but that was um I um I, I was nervous because I am saying right and I had an understanding of Asian culture and then I had another client that um, she's in Zimbabwe. She was she's from Zimbabwe. Rather. Um, she said her twin sister is in China. Actually, she's in a final year studying space engineering. She wanted to become a nurse, so I helped her get into a program in Zimbabwe where she studied German, became an au pair, and I think yeah, she's just finishing off her first year in nursing. Another one of my clients, she's from she's a, uh, she's from the states, was living in Dubai, started her company, and she will be moving to Africa, where she has gotten several contracts with, I think, three or four departments of education in three different countries, and she's setting up a consultancy company. So. When, when I worked with her, she just wanted, she said she just knew that she wanted to make changes in her life. And she didn't really have an idea of what she wanted to do. She just wanted someone to offer support. So I would say I offer support. I help you define your goals. Because I think once, it's easy to say, I want to go to America. But working with me, uh, I would I would ask you why do you want to go to America? How do you want? What do you want to go do in America? Uh, and how are you going to go? So I it, I help you turn your dreams into um, achievable goals. Got it. Uh. And then I and then I do that by changing your mindset. Um, so one of the things I always do, people and people, like, why are you, why are you doing that? Um, I always say, how old are you? <laughs> They're like, okay, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'm 49, so I do this every year. I come up with 49 goals. It doesn't matter whether they're big or achievable. And then out of those 49, I pick 10. Out of those 10, I pick five. Out of those five, I pick three goals. And then, so it's I it start with any goal. No, Based on how old you are, how many how many things you want to do, then you pick up things you want to do the next year, then you break it down to maybe one goal. Then we have to break that down into achievable. So we use smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So, um, and then so then you, that's what you focus on, and then the other part of what I do is I help people accept failure. And 
by that, I mean, when you fail, you need to learn from the experience. Why did it fail? What can I learn? Um, I think that, that aspect I got from my dad, my father's philosophy, it was always, um, if something doesn't work out, take a step back, look at why it didn't work out and then reevaluate. Um, when I was 17, after finishing my O-levels, which would be equivalent to American high school diploma, I got a scholarship to go to England, and my cousin was living in England at that time. So I'm like, I'm like four years since I made a declaration. I'm like, Daddy, guess what? <laughs> I got a scholarship. Can I go to England? She's like, He's like, let me see. He's like, okay, how are you gonna live? I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go live. With, I'm gonna go live with Sissy and blah 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 blah. He's looking at me like, oh, you silly, silly, silly child. No, you're gonna go for do your A levels, Dad. He's like, you got two years to find the rest of the money. <laughs> <laughs> So I deferred acceptance for two years. So he's like, no, you can go when you're 19. Uh, I spent two years. So my whole thing was like, I I was like, ah, la, 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 you know, I'm going to England. <laughs> so I didn't get the scholarship. And then my dad's like, you had two years. You didn't do it. So no, come up with a new plan, sister. So, so usually... Um, so for me when things don't happen the way i expected two didn't work out what can i do what else can i do mm -hmm. and why didn't this work mm -hmm. um uh i just had a recent um, experience so after all the dust settled i kind of like had to be like but did you really but there were so many red flags. Why did you ignore it? That was the question I, I had to ask myself. So it's like, uh, okay, fine. So maybe I did something. Uh, to quote a TikTok and real, am I the cause of of the, all the drama? <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's 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 another thing I do. So it, when uh, when I work with. Um, my clients, I usually work with them for three months, but and then from from the time they start working with me, I'm trying to help them like set up uh, coping mechanisms. I think uh, because I think it's very important to have a support for yourself, mm -hmm. so that you have things that you can do when life doesn't pan out the way that you thought it would. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, we have just a couple minutes left. Um, yes. So, um, you are Zimbabwean. You live abroad for most of your life. Um, I ask these, these same questions to each of the guests on this podcast. Um, and you can answer them however you choose. Um, I'd like to know what it's like to be black, um, where you are, and then also what is it like, or what is it like to be a woman, or however you identify, in twenty twenty one. What is it like to be black here? I uh, I have this philosophy, which. In my um, people's opinion of me is none of my business. So I like to declare that I'm a queen. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna be quoting TikTok and reels. <laughs> I am. A, I am the queen. I am the moment. I am fabulous. Do with with do with that what you want. Um, I I think once I turned 40, I became comfortable. I don't know. There's something about turning 40 that it's like a switch. It just changes your energy. It changes your mentality. And um, yes, I'm very much aware of the fact that I am an African, that I'm a black woman. But 
I have decided that um, people's opinion is none of my business. Uh, I am going to exist. I'm going to breathe. I am going to walk in my queendom. And as a woman in the 21st century, um, I'm here. <laughs> like I said, well, I think being a woman, I'm a woman, hear me roar. I can't remember where that's from, but it's, I'm not just, um, no, I'm, I'm, I loudly proclaim I am Queen Michelle. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, by declaring that I'm here, mm-hmm. I have made a space. I've made uh, a space for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be people who find it uncomfortable, but I think that's anywhere in the world, and in some places, it's expressed more loudly than it is in other places, and. In most instances, in most instances, those people that are not nice, that people, that those people that don't appreciate the fact that I am a black woman, they will let you know. Mm-hmm. But I choose to not acknowledge it because they are not comfortable with their own existence. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I think, yeah, that would be, that would be how I'd end that. <laughs> That's so true. Yes. You've dropped so many gems today. Okay. I have two more questions. Um, well, two and a half more questions. Um, first one is, do you, do you, and what is your message for black people or non-white people? And then what is your message for white people? Um, I think for melanated people or non people who identify as black or people who are black I think just declare who you are and exist and we life is so short we literally I think that's one thing that the pandemic has taught us life is short Mm -hmm. and you don't have time to be wanting someone to recognize you if you don't recognize who you are and if you're in a position to make to have you have a voice and can be heard then use your voice and help make life easier for those people that look like you Mm -hmm. and for other people Life is too short. Take a breath and live. (laughs) Don't stop other people from living their lives. You live your life. Absolutely. I love it. Excellent. Well, you have dropped so many pieces of wisdom, and I'm so grateful for your time today. Um, how can people find you um, so that they can hire you, support you, send you love, communicate with you, connect with you? Um, on Instagram, my handle is Lavender Dreams Coach. Um, I have two books that are available on Amazon. The first one is called Take a Moment Out for You, which is a. 30-day guided journal. Um, These are, I think, um, it offers thought-provoking questions. uh, Things like bucket lists. um, What do you do for yourself? So take a moment out for you is my personal philosophy, which is self-love is not selfish. So every day, once a week, once a month, you have to do something for yourself. And then... Uh, the other book is about being an expert. It's kind of like uh, general advice for someone who wants to become an expat, and it's called Explore the World, How to Love, Live, and Work in a Country That's Not Your Own. Mm-hmm. 
those books sound so necessary for so many people. Yes, and I will be sure to um, put links to your Amazon um, books so that people can purchase them and to find you. Um, so just in case people were driving when they were listening or they just didn't catch it, um, they can check oh, it. And, yes. And um, hopefully by November, I will lost my Etsy shop should be up and running. So I'll be offering um, journals and affirmations. Oh, and I forgot my YouTube uh, my YouTube channel. Wonderful. It's called Lavender Dreams. Um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to post uh, more messages on happiness and positive mindset and affirmations. And I'm, uh, I should be releasing my third book in December. Oh, congratulations. This is such great news. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So I will be um, I will be posting all of that information on my website, and then also um, we'll tag you on all of the things so that people can connect with you and support what you are doing in the world. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. Yes. All right. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. Okay. See you later. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't you love Lynette? She's wonderful. Lynette's friend, thank you so, so much for sharing your expertise and your passion with us on my podcast, Melanated Stamps. If you are interested in supporting her work, hiring her, um, learning more about her story, um, following her, she is on Instagram at Lavender Dreams Coach. Also, just in case you didn't have a pen to write that down, you can check the show notes or also check me out on melanatedstamps.com or at melanatedstamps on Instagram. Um, and I will have all of her um, pictures and um, connections to her links and all of that. And Melanated Stamps is M-E-L-A-N-A-T-E-D-S-T-A-M-P-S dot com and also Instagram. Um, as always, y'all. Uh, I do this work because it is so vitally important to find people who are changing the world in their little corners Um, because when we all um, work towards um, the greater good and when when we are um, being kind to one another and pushing our collective selves um, to our best potential, the world becomes better. So until next time, you guys, um, check out my other podcast. Also, um, be... Be aware of folks who um, need help and do what you can to make their lives just a little bit better for the day uh, because little things make big, big changes. Um, So I think that's all I have to tell you guys for now. Um, Oh, one more thing. If you want to be on a podcast or know someone whose light needs to be just a little bit brighter, come let me know who is that person and share them with me and we can get you guys or get you or your person on the airwaves or the podcast waves. Until next time, y'all, be kind to yourself. Drink water. Take a nap. Be Don't excuse. Don't have, like, all of these excuses for rest. Like, just go to bed. It's so important. And eat your vegetables, all of those things. Until next time, y'all. Bye-bye.